All right, so by now you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. We are learning one step at a time to walk with God. And this is, we're getting near the end of the series, Easter's coming. And I hope by now that you're taking that step every single week, maybe just one step further away from who you were and one step closer to where we need to be. Now, here's what I wanna ask you to do right now. I wanna make sure you're awake. I want you to be whipped into a frenzy. And I know some of you are a little bit sleepy this morning. I've observed that as I've looked at you and watched you sing, and you were pretty engaged, but some of you, I'm not 100% convinced. So this is what I want you to do, all right? And this is all I want you to do. I just want you to stand up real quick. Everybody stand up. And I want you to raise your arms in the air. That's it, just like that, and, and say, good morning. That's all I wanted you to do. Perfect, now sit back down. Now you're whipped into a frenzy. All I can do is take you down from here, right? It's not your fault, it's all on me now. No, I think that's great. You get the blood flowing. I want the blood to go to your ears. I want it to come from your ears down. I want it to go through your heart. I want it to go out into your hands so you are ready to go live for Jesus after this is over today. And today I'm gonna be talking to you about what we do when we don't get it right. What do we do? when we fall down? What do we do when we stumble? What do we do when we need to get back up again? We're gonna be talking about second chances. I wanna go ahead and go back to the slide, the title slide for one of the last times together. Let's read through this. This is, well, the footstep of faith today. Everyone is tempted from time to time to unfollow Jesus. Sometimes the Christian life seems like a never-ending game of Jesus says, rules, rules, rules. However, when we look closely at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that Jesus' offer to his first century audience is the same as his offer to us today. He invites us to have a relationship with him, and it begins with a simple request, just take one step at a time. So let's dive right in today together, and let's look at this idea of this temptation to unfollow Jesus. Now, there are three times in life when we are the most tempted to fall or the most tempted to, well, to be disobedient, to step away from the people God asks us to be. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to fall. We don't want to tumble down off the mountain. We don't plan for mistakes, but they happen. Now, three of these times, three of these periods in life, times of transition, times of temptation, and times of trouble, Two weeks ago, Joy and I on a Saturday afternoon were sitting around watching some TV, just hanging out in the living room. And uh, my wife, she's really good when she shops and she sticks with discipline. And, and we found out that without having any kids in the house, that um, it's a lot easier to just have the kind of food that we want to eat in the house and not the stuff we don't want to eat in the house. And so I tell Joy, she tells me before she goes shopping, just let's not buy any snacks and any sweets. And then that way, if we have a moment of weakness, there won't be anything for us to go to the cabinet and grab. And we just take the temptation totally away and it makes it easy because willpower, after all, it's hard. Sometimes we don't have the willpower to make the choices we want, so you make them ahead of time. Now, Joy and I were sitting there talking. Now, how many of you, I just wanna know, the world is divided into two types of people, sweets people and salt people. And the two, sometimes they're married, uh, and then sometimes you know, you're friends with people who are different than you, and sometimes you think you're the only one in the world. So how many of you, if you had to choose between sweet or salty, would go with sweet? How many, if you had to choose, you have to. Okay, how many, all right. How many of you would be um, the other side, salty? 
Yeah, me too. I'm definitely salty. I was craving something sweet and this, that Saturday afternoon. I looked at Joy and I said, sweetheart, I'm so glad you don't have anything bad in the cabinet because I think I, think I would eat. And so I was like praising her for being such a, a great shopper and so disciplined. And she was like, yeah, me too. I'm really glad there's nothing there. And, and so we just kind of go on about our day for three minutes. And then three minutes, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, three minutes after we had this conversation, the doorbell rang. Now, back in the day when I was a kid, the doorbell rings, everybody's excited. All the kids run downstairs, you go to the doorbell, who's at the door, you're so excited. Now it's like the doorbell rings, you think it's the cops or something, right? You don't know, no one rings your doorbell. And so I look out the, you know, I have a window at the top of my door and I have to stand up and look down. There's this little girl standing there, cute little girl with a basket of temptation. I open the door, mom's out at the sidewalk and I, she goes, would you like some Girl Scout cookies? So I look back over my shoulder to see if my wife had slipped away downstairs or perhaps to the bathroom. She was sitting right there on the couch looking to see what I was gonna do. So I looked at the little girl and I said, get behind me, Satan. That's what I told her. <laughs> I did not call her Satan. I thought that, but I didn't call the little girl Satan. That gets you in trouble, Ankeny. Um, I said, no, thank you. I don't, I don't care for any cookies. And she left. And, um, and I was like, crisis averted, but temptations come sometimes when you're not expecting it. Sometimes right after you've congratulated yourself on making such great decisions and being such wise and disciplined people, it smacks you in the face in the form of a cute little girl with a basket of cookies. What's the harm in that, right? And the slippery slope, three boxes later, the boxes of shame, right? And then anyway, you know, you've been there. So temptation comes. The Bible tells us that it comes because of three different reasons. It talks about, the Bible talks about temptation coming from within because we're sinful and we just have a magnet toward the things that aren't right. I can resonate with that. The Bible talks about the fact that it comes from the world, that the world is just set up in a way that trips us up, that keeps us from following Jesus. The Bible talks about temptation coming from Satan, Satan himself who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he might devour wanting to devour you and me. And so I say, well, if I'm against myself, if the world's against me, if the Satan himself is against me, then why in the world do I even want to play? This all following Jesus thing's impossible. I can't win. The Bible tells us that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And Jesus says, as long as you follow, I'll take you through times of transition, times of temptation, times of trouble. Just take that step. I got you one step at a time. Now we're gonna be fast forwarding today. We talked last week about John chapter six and we talked about how Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, everybody's leaving me because they don't want to hear what I have to say. Everyone seems to like my works. Nobody really likes the words. And he looks at his disciples and says, are you guys gonna leave too? Peter speaks up in a great moment, a moment of great faith, a moment where Jesus was proud. He was happy. It was a mountaintop moment. And, and he says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, awesome, you got it. And then events happen, life happens. And the disciples had seen some really terrible things. They'd watched their best friend be arrested after having done nothing wrong, tried in a mock trial, tortured, crucified, rose again, appeared to his disciples as a group on two occasions before this occasion one time in an upper room, the Bible says that almost all of them there, except for one, the doubter, 
was in an upper room with the doors locked because they were scared the Jews were going to come and, and kill them, the leaders, the religious leaders. And Jesus appeared, we would say magically, but it's supernaturally, and appeared to them and showed them that he had defeated sin, Satan, and death once and for all by rising from the dead. And then, because there was one missing, Thomas, Jesus appeared again in the same way to the disciples in an upper room with a locked door. And Thomas, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the, the scars, unless I can, and Jesus said, here, touch them. I'm for real. Feel it. So you think the disciples would be tracking. You think they would be getting it right. You think they'd be taking those steps of faith, man. All right, we've seen it. We believe it. And Jesus said, look, I want you to do one thing. You only have one job. And um, the disciples said, what is it? Anything. I need you to go, and I need you to meet me on a mountain. Now, this is where the problem happens. I'm sure the disciples asked the question, how long do you want me to wait? Now, they already knew which mountain. It was a mountain that they were well familiar with. How long do you want me to wait? And Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you. Some Bible scholars think it was 40 days. Some think it was three weeks. Some two weeks. Some one week. Some just a few days. But the point is that they were told to wait. You and I hate waiting. In the times of waiting, we begin to listen to the voices, our own and others. He said, just want you to wait. Go up on the mountain and wait for me. I'll come to you. And the disciples couldn't even get that right. They went to the mountain and then very quickly tumbled down off that mountain, that mountaintop experience, that getting it right, that footstep of faith, all the way down about as far as you could go. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 21. Afterward, I told you the things that have just happened, and this is afterward. Jesus appeared again to his disciples. This is the third time to them as a group by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, the duplicate, spare parts, um, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Now, let's stop here for a second because this is really important. Seems like it's just um, fact points, just plot points, just details to get us to the real point of the story, but that's not at all true. This is the point of the story, or at least one of the most important points of the story. You have a group of people, a group of men who were supposed to be Jesus' best friends, who had been through thick and thin with him, who were committed to living their lives for him, and were on the verge of making a decision to go back to a point like they'd never met him in the first place. And one vocal leader named Peter looked at the rest of the group and said, guys, it's been too long, he ain't coming, he's changed his mind, maybe he's forgotten us, maybe he's chosen somebody better, maybe he's chosen somebody more convenient, we have to bail. What do we do? I don't know what we do. We're going to go back and we're going to live like we never met this guy. They were a little mad, they were a little frustrated, they were a little confused, they didn't have certainty about the future filled with disillusionment and despair, Peter speaks up and goes, let's go back and live like we never met Jesus at all. And the other disciples were like, yeah, all right. 
one of the saddest conversations that you could ever read. I'm going out to fish. Now you go, how do you know that, Pastor? And I would tell you that the reason I know that is this phrase, I'm going out to fish. In English, it's just constructed in a way where it looks like we're gonna go fishing. Like if I say, hey, let's go fishing after church. I'm like, all right, I can go fishing and we go catch a fish. That's not at all what this phrase means. What this phrase means, the way it's constructed in the original language is, I'm going back to my life of fishing. Now remember where Jesus met them in the very first place fishing and Jesus came by and said leave your boats and your nets behind I'm going to make you fishers of men leave everything you know to follow me and even though there's unknown the life I give you is going to be a life far better than you'd ever choose and they're like all right let's go so here they are going back to the life they left Simon Peter he said, I'm going to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into, now this word here, very important, the boat. Not a boat. The boat. Which specifically points to a specific boat. Which boat do you think it would be? The very boat that Peter left behind that he owned. Same boat, same net, same port, same business, same life. I'm going to go live like I haven't met Jesus. I'm going to live for me. Wow, but we've been there, haven't we? Sometimes it's little by little. Sometimes we know what's happening, but we don't do anything to stop it. Sometimes we just jump off a cliff right into sin and walk away from God and say, I'm done. And if we find ourselves in the middle of a lake, not sure why we're there, wishing we could get out, but not knowing how. So, here we go. What do we do when a disciple unfollows Jesus? We'll go with you. They went out. They got in the boat. And this is what's awesome. That night they caught how many fish? What does it say? Nothing. I'm going to ask you again. They caught how many fish? Nothing. Now, why did they catch no fish? Because God diverted the fish, diverted, moved them, had them swim around the nets, caused them to catch no fish, which tells me and tells you, friends, that when we try to live our life in a way that looks like we don't know Jesus, we are destined for futility and frustration. God's not going to allow it. And he brings us to the end of ourselves where we come face to face with empty nets and hurting hearts. That night, they, I love this. Peter, frustrated, man. He, but, he's, but I'm telling you, he's got resolve. He's, got, he's a guy who's gonna, you know, I'm gonna get this done. How long did he fish? All night long. At two or three in the morning, if you caught nothing, you'd give it up. I'm going home. He was absolutely convinced he was gonna make it without Jesus. And in the morning, man, in the morning, what a long night. Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now, a couple reasons. One, he was probably 100 yards away from them, and it's kind of hard to see in the breaking, you know, the early morning light, but also Jesus in his um, resurrected body looked a little different than he did before. We don't have time to talk about that, but so he had to sort of reveal himself to people, and so as he came up to the shore, the disciples didn't really realize it was Jesus, and he called out to them, and he said, friends, now don't mistake this word as being friendly, 
Now, it wasn't a word of animosity. It wasn't like he wanted to fight, but it was a distant word. Like if I had said to you, sir, which intimates, sir, the person I don't really know, but I'm calling out to because I'd like to have a conversation with. You know what I mean? Like, like um, you're not trying to be a jerk, but you're trying to act like you don't know him. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. He's going, hey, guys, dudes, sirs. And he points out something that would be super irritating. And he's pointed this out to them before. We've talked about it, so I know you remember. Almost exactly the same kind of conversation. Isn't it great how God sometimes brings us back and reminds us? He says, hey, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. So he points out to them something very important, and this is where I want us to just spend a second. And this is, man, it's so important to me, and I've read this story so many times, and I've taught this story so many times, and you and I have talked about it, but this part of the story has jumped out to me in the last few days like it's never jumped out before, and this is what I want to share with you today. The disciples were frustrated, and they were upset, and they had turned their back on God. And what God was showing them is, is that their actions of disobedience have consequences, And the consequences bring choices. But you and I make decisions all the time that we know aren't what God wants. We know better, but we choose not to do better. And then we get mad at God because we have consequences in our life. God, my nets are empty. I'm tired. I'm not being successful. I'm not getting what I want. I feel empty and you're not hearing my prayers. There's distance between you and me. And we get upset. And he comes to the shore of our life and he calls out and he says, haven't you caught anything? Aren't you done fishing? Might you consider me? Remember when I called you in the first place and said, leave the life behind and come and live a different way? Man, we do it all the time. We want the consequences to go away. Now, you guys are all here, so I can preach to the choir. But um, this is the human, um, some of the traps we fall into. We as people, we fall into these, these traps. The Bible tells us that we are created to live in a herd, that we are people who are designed to live in community. We're designed that way. God designed us that way, not to be isolated, not to be individuals. We're, we're herding animals, a flock of, of people. Of, 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 you know what I'm talking about, right? Like cows or goats or I don't know if you prefer a different animal. A wolf pack, I suppose, but not a lone wolf. Um, but yet sometimes we choose not to. It's like, uh, you know, Sunday mornings, I'm a little busy. I got things going on. I'm, it's not that important if I'm there. I don't really need to be part of the body. And this is what happens. After 32 years of doing this, I've watched it over and over and over again. My Bible tells me don't forsake the assembling of the saints as some do because I've created you to assemble together. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to point my finger at you. I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm not being judgmental. I just want to share with you some principles. So people go and they're like, eh, it's just not a good time. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to do my own thing. I can be a Christian by myself. And while that's true, I've seen so many times, had so many conversations where people come back to me and they're like, man, my marriage isn't going like I want it to. My kids and the parenting, it's just not what I want. I just don't have satisfaction. You know, I just don't have much hope right now. My peace, I'm not, and, and they can't figure out why. So I'm like, let's look at your life. Some people, it's not a good time for me to serve. And the Bible tells us that if we want to live this life of being a disciple of Christ, that we serve, we give our lives away, and you say, right now is not a good time for me to give. 
I got to do me right now. And this is what we do. We put like benchmarks. We put like a finish line. We put time frames on it. God, right now, I, I can't really do it because I'm, I'm otherwise occupied. So when I get to this stage, then I will. And when I can, can, then I will. When I get the promotion, when I graduate, when my kids graduate, when I, and there's, it never comes. The wind never comes. And you look at the life and you're like, but we're not giving our lives away. But I'm not happy. God needs to make me happy. No. He's calling from the shore saying, are you ready to start living your life for me again? We do it with our money. Jesus says, you want to know where your heart is? Look where your money is. 100% true. If you love me, you give. Period. Sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, man, I just don't have enough. It's just frustrating. I'm not sure. And we look at our own finances and we've stopped giving to the Lord. And we're like, God, fix my problems. And he says, come back to the person that I've called you to be. One step at a time. Trust me even though it's scary. Do what I need you to do even though it doesn't make sense. Walk this walk of faith. Let me lead you. Let me be your strength. Let me give you peace. Let me. And we have to choose, is it me or God? Is it me or is it God? The disciples were right in the middle of that choice, friends. Throw your nets. Man, here we go. Early in the morning, Jesus said, haven't you got any fish? Nope. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And when you do, you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Let's keep going. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, he calls himself that, which is kind of a cool nickname. I suppose if I'm writing the book, I'd be like Jesus' favor. And of course, Rick, the disciple that Jesus loved, um, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around himself, for he'd taken it off. And don't make more of this than it is. They stripped off the outer tunic when they went fishing and they left their, their shorts on. He wrapped it around himself. Of course, good old impetuous Peter, impulsive Peter, jumped into the water. <laughs> the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw the fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. Interesting that Peter didn't really make much more progress than the rest of the disciples in the boat, but you gotta love the guy for swimming, right? Sometimes God takes us back. And sometimes he does it in surprising ways. We are very sensory people. We remember, like a, a song will come on, usually from Journey or Sticks, and I'll remember somebody that I dated when I was in like ninth grade. Does that happen to you? Now, maybe not Journey or Sticks. For you, it may be a totally different era, but I'll hear something and it reminds me of a time I was riding in a car with my best friend, or you know, I see a movie and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Top Gun, I, and it takes you back, right? Reminds you of something. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He builds a fire, and you say, yeah, what, who cares, fire. There's a couple different types of fire, and there's a couple different types of fire that Jesus could have built. And this particular word, this particular fire is very specific, common but specific, could have been a different type of fire. You may ask, what difference does that make? And I would tell you that it's the exact same fire and word for fire, this charcoal fire that Peter was sitting by when he was grilled by the junior high girl outside the gates where Jesus was being tortured and questioned before his crucifixion. Well, you talk about a song that reminds you of a time and a place. Face to face with your shame, face to face with your sin. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said, it's the Lord and off he goes. 
When they landed, they saw this fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Where did Jesus get the fish? Jesus said to them, bring your fish. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And this next part's kind of cool, not particularly relevant to the message, but I'm gonna tell you because it's an interesting fact. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net of shore. It was full of large fish, 153. Now, if you've come from a Catholic tradition or more liturgical tradition, you may have heard Simon Peter referred to as Simon Peter the large, Simon Peter the big, big Simon Peter, right? And the reason is because they assume, and sometimes we make the most out of some of the craziest nuances, that because each of these fish that they caught were an average of two pounds apiece, that 153 fish at two pounds apiece is 306 pounds plus a wet net, another 35 pounds, 341 pounds, he must have been a big guy to be able to to grab the net, haul it out of the boat himself up to the fire. And so now he's Simon Peter the large, right? It doesn't have anything to do with our message. I just think it's interesting. You can impress your friends and your neighbors with that piece of trivia. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now I want you to understand what's happening here. The disciples had decided to try to live in a way that was like they'd never met Jesus. And Jesus had decided to forgive in a way that was just like it had never happened. Can I say that again? The disciples had decided to try to live in a way that was like they'd never met Jesus. And because they were repentant, because they were ready to turn from their mistakes, Jesus decided to forgive in a way that allowed them to live like it had never happened. That's what Jesus does. And friends, I'm not Jesus and you're lucky. And you're not Jesus and I'm lucky for that because we wouldn't forgive each other for our shenanigans, nonsense, and failures. We'd be fed up, we'd be sick and tired, we'd be done with us. But we serve a gracious God who's not done with us. So let's land this plane. I'm gonna try to do it fairly quickly, so get ready to jog with me. Everyone is tempted to unfollow, especially during times of transition, temptation, and trouble. We see the disciples in the garden when Jesus was arrested at the gate where Peter denied Jesus, the group think where they decided collectively that he wasn't to be trusted, that they had to live on their own. Sometimes we trade this right relationship for rags, but Jesus offers redemption. I was meeting with a, a new friend this week and he said something that just captured my own mind, my own heart. It was a perfect way to say this. But what Jesus is showing them is it's not about how much we love Jesus, it's about how much Jesus loves us. And the disciples were finding that out. Even when they didn't love Jesus, like Jesus deserved to be loved, Jesus loved completely. Our right relationship. Lord, where else would we go? We trade for rags. Let's look at this very quickly. Four different words that represent some of the traps or triggers that you and I face in our life. You'll have some time in your city groups this week to talk about it, to drill down a little bit. Resentment, mismanaged anger and bitterness. 
I have some questions that I've written down for myself and I've borrowed from some other people. Kind of a resentment meter. Am I becoming more or less easily irritated these days? I asked my wife this morning that question. Ask her cold. Just caught her cold. Joy, you're becoming more or less easily irritated these days. And she, without a doubt, without a beat, just said, more irritated. Of course. So I was going to tell her how unspiritual she was for saying that. And I said, why? And she said, I live with you. And then she smiled real big and she did that, she did that little turn, you know, like she, and I'm like, wow. And she walked off and I'm like, how did she just insult me? And I think that, yeah, I just, how am I doing with bitterness? How am I going to address that in my life? Unforgiveness. Relax, I'm not going to go into that like we did a couple weeks ago. Do I often attack others or withdraw? Does the Spirit bring to mind anyone whom I need to reconcile to seek to set things straight? Anxiety. What discouragement and frustration am I feeling in my life these days? Do I find that I'm more and more preoccupied in my prayers with concerns about myself and my health and well-being? Do I have more or fewer fears these days about my money, my job, or even what other people think of me? Do I allow my fears to keep me from doing what God wants? I have a friend who we were talking in between services and she said, a lady came to me and we were talking about our world and, and she said, you know, I just don't have any hope right now for our world. I don't have much hope. Now it depends on what we're looking at, doesn't it? Because if our hope is in a government, is in a world stage, is in current events, is in the stock market, is in a political party, then our hope is not, it's lost. It, it, it's, it's hopeless. But that's not where our hope is. But sometimes our fears and hopelessness keep us from doing what God wants. Greed. Am I becoming more or less a victim of my appetites right now than I used to be? Is my self-control going up or down? Or is it neutral? Here's one. You ready for this one? Am I living with more openness and less hiddenness than I used to? Am I living more of my life in the light? Now, I'm asking this in the first person, but I assume you're asking this to yourself as well as we go. Do you find that what you desire and enjoy is increasingly in line with what God wants for you? Here's the S, superiority. We Christians, we do a bad job with this one. Respond to this statement. I have become so humble, I amaze myself. Am I becoming less preoccupied with myself these days? Do I find myself thinking more about other people and what God wants? The work he has for me to do instead of what I want and what I want to do? How often in my conversations do I remark on the positive characteristics of others? Am I an encourager? How often do I tell negative stories or communicate cynicism? Am I spending more or less time serving the world around me? 
When we drill down, we find that oftentimes we fall into these traps. The Bible defines sin, thoughts, actions, attitudes, displeasing to the Lord. But you and I, we fall into these things and we have to confess to turn our backs, to choose to live for Jesus. And the beautiful part of this is that there's restoration at the end of our tumble down the mountain. In the book of 1 John, when we confess our sin, or if, I'm going to assume the best, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sin, the times we've chosen to live like God was not a part of our lives, he forgives us our sin and chooses to treat us like it never happened. So if you've unfollowed, if you have fallen off the mountain, if you feel yourself slipping and sliding down the mountain, or if you're at the top of the mountain having conversations with people who you need to have a different conversation with, now's the time to be proactive and to take that step of faith. And I'm going to pray for you right now as we close our time together. Father, thank you for my friends.